Hey, I want to welcome everybody once again, wherever you're at. I know that uh, it's good to be together physically in Mesa and in Ahwatukee, but also online. And I know online right now we have people watching from Wisconsin and Minnesota and Russia and Chicago and Texas and Iowa. What's up? It's great to have you with, and welcome to everybody who's here in Mesa today. You know, we just prayed for needs, and I, I want you to know that our God is a healing God. He's a miracle-working God. In fact, um, online, Pat said that God worked a miracle over the last few months healing stage four cancer. So that's awesome. I just want to share that with you. Well, hey, we are starting a new series today called Best Sermon Ever. And like I said last week, I'm not going to be preaching the best sermon ever, okay? So don't get your hopes up, but more about the best sermon ever. Jesus, he gave it. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm just going to dive into it, and then I'll give you some kind of introductory remarks. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 sets the scene. It says, Jesus traveled through the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Our God can heal. He's always been in the healing business, and he still is. Large crowds from, uh, followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the Ten Towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from east of the Jordan River. So we see that people were coming to Jesus from all over the region, bringing their sick, and Jesus healed them. Jesus healed, and they needed Jesus. He was really their only hope. They didn't have the medical marvels that we have today. And today, we still deal with sickness, but our sickness that I think that, that we struggle with now more than anything is a sickness resulting from our sinful nature. And it affects everything. Jesus did come to heal our sicknesses, but more so our spiritual sickness. In fact, you know that in the Greek, the same word used for saved is the same word used for healed. To be saved is to be spiritually healed. That's why Jesus is not just a physician, but the great physician. The sickness of today is sin and it corrupts and it destroys and we see its effects across our society. That's why we deal with things like we're dealing with right now, like disease and racism, all resulting from sin. And the frustration that people feel today is ultimately a frustration with the sickness of this world. And today, just like 2000 years ago, Jesus is still our only hope. How many of you believe that? So people 2,000 years ago didn't have all the same things and stuff that we have today, like technology, but they essentially wanted the same things. They didn't know what it meant to get likes, but they wanted to be respected. They didn't have all the opportunities we have, but they still wanted to succeed. They didn't have the constitutional rights that we have, but they wanted to be treated fair and be free. The culture of Jesus' day was a reflection of the Old Testament mindset, which really said, if things are going really well for you, that's proof that God loves you and he's blessing you. And, and so their mindset would have lined up more with our natural mindset, which basically said, you know, you're blessed when you've got money. 
You're blessed when you're happy. You're blessed when everyone knows how important you are. You're blessed when you get a fair deal. You're blessed when you get what you want. You're blessed when your side wins. And the average person would hear that and be like, well, yeah, that's exactly what I was hoping for. I wanna be blessed. The thing is, those were rarely the conditions for God's people who for many parts of their history lived as slaves, went through famine or war, or they were oppressed or they were persecuted. I want you to look at this picture. Here's a picture you see, you know, like this girl sitting on a ledge. This guy's like hanging for his life. This girl's like balancing. Okay, you look at this picture and that's probably what you see. But then look at this picture again if we flip it. And what you actually see is different than what your brain first told you was going on, that, that these people are actually laying on the ground, okay? And, and, and it's the same thing, but with a different perspective. And that's really what Jesus does in the best sermon ever, is he flips the perspective of the day on its head for the first time ever in human history. So I wanna show you what he does in Matthew chapter five, verse one. Here's where he starts the sermon with this huge crowd that has come to him and gathered around him. He's basically up on a, a mountain, kind of a tall hill, and he's preaching to this huge crowd. And he goes into this awesome sermon and says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus does is he takes your perception of reality and he completely changes it. He changes it. And what he says is your status in life is not based on your current reality. But when you're a follower of Jesus, your status is always and only blessed. Even when it doesn't feel like it. You're still blessed. And so today I wanna focus on verse nine. I'm actually gonna do this a little bit out of order because I wanna to speak to some of the events that are taking place in our nation right now. So I wanna talk about verse nine where it says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. You read this, think about being a peacemaker and it kind of goes against your natural thinking. I, I wouldn't think I'm blessed by being a peacemaker, but rather I think I'd be blessed by winning. I want to win my arguments. I want to win the fights that I'm faced with, but that's not what Jesus says. So I want to talk to you today from the subject, blessed are the peacemakers. Right now we are dealing with a lot of racial tensions in our country. And I'm gonna talk about some of those things today. And I know that just bringing that up could make some of you mad. And if that's you, I just wanna say, give me a few minutes, All right? Give me a few minutes a day. These are some things we have to talk about. And even though there is a risk that as I talk about some of these things, I could accidentally offend some people. That's not what I wanna do. And I don't wanna let the risk of accidentally offending someone stop me from saying, what needs to be said. So I promise that I'll accidentally offend everyone equally. 
When I think about being a peacemaker, I got to tell you right up front and just confess, this is not something that comes easily for me. Anybody who knows me would tell you I've just always kind of been a fighter, always kind of been a fighter, whether it was with my parents or my teachers or my classmates. I just like to fight, I guess. I mean, I'm just confessing my sinfulness right now to y'all. So you can't feel judged today because I'm starting out telling you about my sin. I'm a fighter. I'm a fighter. There was a point when I was about 12 years old, I went to this, this guy in my church and I asked him to teach me karate. And he asked me, why do you want to learn karate? And I was like, oh, this is a test. It's like Mr. Miyagi testing me right now. I see what's going on. See, I knew the reason I wanted to learn karate was so that I could beat people up. But I wasn't going to say that. No, I'm too smart for that. So I said, I want to learn karate because I want to learn discipline. He said, if you want to learn discipline, listen to your parents and do what they say. And he walked away. <laughs> I eventually found this guy to teach me karate and I did put it to good use. I got in fights and I love to practice my karate as I got in fights. You know, when you're a kid, you can get in fights and you're not really strong enough to seriously hurt each other. You just kind of hit each other and then you become friends afterwards. That's what kids do. It was a different day and age, I know. And then I got a little bit older and, and went to high school and I learned, you know, they generally frown on that here and I don't want to get expelled and I don't want to go to jail. So I probably should stop fighting with my fists. So instead I started to fight with my mouth. It's true what the Bible says, that the mouth is sharper than a double-edged sword. So I loved a good verbal exchange. And I, I just, I love to, to insult and jab and use my wit to cut people down. And, and, and so it's really hard for me when I learn that, yeah, I'm not blessed by God. I'm not acting like a child of God when I even win a fight, whether it is to defend my friends or just stand up for myself. I'm not blessed when I cut someone out, else down with my words, but I'm rather blessed when I'm a peacemaker. That's what a child of God does. He's a peacemaker. It's a struggle. I wanna talk about peace. The word peace appears in the New Testament 92 times. And it's, it's a commonly used greeting like the God of peace, may he be with you or may God give you grace and peace. It's also a commonly used farewell, like Jesus healed people and he said, go in peace. Biblically, peace is not just being nice or, or quiet or having peace is not those things. Multi rather, there's like multiple complex aspects of what it means when the Bible says peace. Things like this, like it, it means to be free from rage, not at war living in harmony with other people. It carries the idea of security and prosperity and happiness. It also describes the state of our soul when we've been saved through faith in Jesus, that we're at peace with God and we no longer have any reason to fear God. That's what the Bible means when it says peace. So with that being said, let's talk about what a peacemaker is and is not, okay? So first, if you're taking notes, you can write these things down, but a peacemaker is not a war maker. I know that's kind of obvious, isn't it? A peacemaker is not a war maker. Now, the default mode of humanity is to make war. Now, I, I was a soldier before I became a pastor, so I learned some things about war. Warfare consists of attacking and defending. That's how you fight. 
You either attack or you defend, and sometimes you try to deceive or manipulate the enemy. So think about how we attack one another sometimes. Usually it's not with our, our fists, although physical violence does take place, but oftentimes we use our words to attack one another. Have you ever seen someone try to start a social media campaign to attack someone or some group of people? I have. That's war making right there. Has anyone ever started a conversation with you like this? Have you heard what happened? Did you hear what happened to so-and-so? That's, that's gossip, which is talking negatively about someone to somebody else who has no power to help with the situation. That's war-making behavior right there. It says in Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. How challenging is that? But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We sometimes we attack with manipulation and with judgment. How many of you remember those memes that were on the internet all the time before, like on Facebook, it'd be like a picture of Jesus and it would be like, if you're a true believer, you're gonna share this photo of Jesus and tag 50 of your friends. And I was like, I don't even have 50 friends. If you don't share this photo, you're denying Christ. That's manipulation, right? That's manipulation. And trying to control someone with veiled threats or judgment is an attack that's not being a peacemaker. So we don't wanna attack. Then think about defending. How do we defend? We defend with walls and barriers. Think about, for those of you who are married, what happens in your marriage oftentimes. You know, when one, one spouse comes in and says, I need to talk to you. And immediately, oftentimes, we throw up walls and barriers like, oh, gosh, what happened now? What is it? What's she going to say I did now? <laughs> That's being defensive. And oftentimes, when a conversation about racism and discrimination comes up, I'm about to go there, people get defensive, especially white people like me right now. And I struggle with it, too. But, you know, we worry like, well, am I gonna be accused of something I didn't do? Or am I gonna get guilt tripped for something I wasn't involved in? And if we're not careful, we can become defensive. But being defensive does not lead to peace. Christians, I want you to know right now that I'm not guilt tripping you. And I will never guilt trip you because Christians don't guilt trip other Christians, all right? Christ has removed our guilt, and so no Christian can put guilt on another believer of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 1 says, now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So no one's guilt tripping you today, and I'm not going to guilt trip you. So think about this. If war consists of attacking and defending, peace comes through talking, through talking. When wartime turns to peacetime, there's usually leaders Talking, like I think about when I was young in the 90s, seeing President Clinton lead the Oslo peace talks between the Palestinians and the Israelis, and you have people who, who have been fighting, coming together to talk. Communication, it is a way to turn fighters into allies. Think about some of those racial tensions that exist right now. It's easy to share messages and posts that support the way you already feel. But I wanna encourage each and every one of you who are a part of Generation Church to talk with someone who is different than you. Talk with someone who's different than you. And then, yeah, we do support that. Then when you do talk, don't get defensive. 
and definitely don't attack, but just listen. It's interesting how communication creates relationship and intimacy. Your relationship with God actually started with communication to God. You said to God, you said, God, I I need you. I want you. I accept you. I offer you my life and I want to make your name great. That's what you said, right? And that led to intimacy and relationship with God. The more you talk with him, the stronger the relationship gets. And you'll find when you talk with people who look different than you and come from different ethnicities than you, it creates relationship and intimacy. I think as Christians, we should be able to talk to one another regardless of skin color, background, and say, I need you, I want you, I accept you, I offer you all that I have to make you great. I wanna help you be great. I know that I have benefited so much from talking to brothers and sisters in Christ who are African-American in our church over the years and learning from them what their experience has been like. It has really helped me to understand. I wanna say this next, peace, a peacemaker is not controlled by anger. This one's tough. It's hard to be a peacemaker and a rage monster at the same time, isn't it? Like when's the last time you lost your temper? Notice I didn't ask, have you ever lost your temper? But when's the last time? Some of you were like, on the way to church today. You know, I asked my husband to get the kids ready and then I show up and the kids got two different shoes on. I'm like, two different shoes? Really? That's the best you can do? You think about when you lose your temper, it doesn't lead to feelings of peace, does it? But rather anxiety, name calling, tears, stress. That's, that's war right there. Now, I want to say this. It's normal to get angry sometimes. It's actually okay to get angry. Even God gets angry in the Bible. Do you realize that? But here's what scripture says, Ephesians 4, 26. In your anger, do not sin. In your anger, you, you can get angry. It doesn't say it's a sin to get angry. It just says in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. That's challenging, right? So that means that you can be angry and righteous, or you can be angry and sin. Really depends on what you do when you're in that moment of feeling angry. So I think of right now, we have Christian brothers and sisters who've been protesting and walking in prayer walks to show that they are fed up with injustices in the world. That's being angry and righteous. On the other hand, we see people in the news who are looting and stealing property. That would be angry and sinful. Scripture tells us in your anger, do not sin. Because angry, when we lose control like that, when we're angry and we lose control, it does not end up leading us to a place of peace. And then we see in this passage right here that anger is not an emotion that we're meant to hold on to for a long time. It's okay to get angry, but it's not something that we're supposed to keep inside of us. You know, we call people with temper problems hotheads. And it's a good, it's a good statement. It's a good term, really, because anger, it will burn you if you hold on to it for too long. This passage tells us, don't go to sleep with rage. It's okay to feel angry, but don't go to sleep with rage. If you sleep with rage, you're going to get pregnant with rage and give birth to bitterness. That's what's going to happen. Romans 3 says this. Their mouths, talking about sinners, 
are full of cursing and bitterness. They don't know where to find peace. You don't want to become a bitter, angry person who can't find peace. And, and when you come across someone who's always angry at everyone and they're always just like spouting out bitterness and cursing, that's a sign of a sinful lifestyle is what scripture says. And that person can't find peace. And I know all of us need peace. We want peace. So I want to just encourage you and just remind you of this. I know you already know this, but when you get angry, be careful what you say. When you're angry, that's not the time to text. That's not the time to post. That's a good time to close the app, delete the text, step outside, count to 10. Think about all the good things that God has brought to your life. But it is okay to get angry over injustice. Don't let anger control you. I want to say this next. A peacemaker lives in harmony with others. So if you're taking notes, this is the third thing. A peacemaker lives in harmony with others. So I used to think of harmony as just getting along with others, not fighting. But that's really not the best understanding of what harmony is. I think it's more helpful to think of singing harmony. You know, when we think of singing harmony, it's two different voices coming together, singing different notes, but they go together and they complement each other. Like if you've enjoyed the worship at our church today, it's because you heard some people singing harmony. One person's all, ah, uh, and the other person's all, ah, uh, and they blend together and it makes this magnificent sound. It's harmony. And a peacemaker lives in harmony with others. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. I love this passage because I think about what's going on in our nation right now. And the African-American community has been mourning and struggling and angst with the situation that has taken place. And they're thinking of multiple things that have happened in recent history, not just one event but multiple events. And so as a Christian, what's appropriate, the way I live in harmony is I come alongside that community. I'm not there to be like, well, you know, statistically, no, no, that's not, that's not harmony, right? Harmony says, I'm gonna come alongside you. I'm gonna rejoice with those who rejoice. I'm gonna mourn with those who mourn. So in order to have harmony, you have to be together. You have to flow together in sync. You cannot live out harmony with one another if there is no other. That's why when I think about the tensions that exist right now in our country over issues of skin color, these are issues that cannot be solved in isolation. We need each other to have harmony. If you're white like me, you aren't gonna understand the concerns of the black community without talking to someone who understands what it's like to be a part of that community. And I'll tell you what, I didn't until I did have those conversations. And I wanna say this to the members of our church who are in minority groups, in order for us to listen, we need your voices speaking. We need you to share, we need you to talk with us. A lot of times when there's tension and fighting and anger like this, I'll hear people, sometimes Christians say, well, we're gonna pray for peace. But what they often mean is, we're going to pray for peace and quiet. Wow. Like what we actually want is for all y'all who are upset to just quiet down and stop bothering us. 
That's not what we need. We need to know what it's like. We need you to share your experience with the rest of us. We don't just want this problem to go away because you can't harmonize with silence. Can you? How many of you know what I'm saying is true? So I want to say to those of you who are angry about injustice, and we all should be, but we want you to speak up. We do not pray for you to be silent. We're not praying for the problem to just kind of disappear. We need you to share. We need you to talk with us. And I want to encourage all of us to just ramp up the level of communication. We want to come alongside one another and harmonize together. Romans 14, 19 says this. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. See, the church is the perfect place for harmony because Jesus Christ brings different people together and makes them one. So in the church, we should have more opportunity than probably almost any other part of our lives to learn from and seek understanding from people who are different than us. All of us can grow in this. I love what one of our youth pastors, Justin, said in youth group this last week. He said, we should pray passionate prayers for those who are hurting. But you won't pray with passion until you have compassion. And you won't have compassion for people until you have relationship with people. I'm so thankful for my brothers in Christ who are African-American, who have sat with me and shared their stories of injustice and their experiences of pain. And that has helped me to develop empathy for their pain. And it starts to make sense why, why people are saying black lives matter. You know, and I know, I know that some people have struggled with that phrase and they haven't really understood what's meant by that. And, and, and like, yes, of course we know what Jesus says in the scripture, right? He says, God so loved the world, right? And so you could be like, oh, lives matter, right? But that's not what we're talking about right now. Right now, there is a group of the body of Christ who's feeling disproportionate levels of pain. And so it's okay to speak to that, plain, that pain and affirm our love for that community and say, yes, of course your life matters. Of course your life matters. That is, what would Jesus do? That's what, I think Jesus would step in and say, yes, of course your life matters. And I know some of you think that that's being political. And, you know, whenever I I talk about anything that's actually interesting, someone gets mad at me for uh, being political. But that's the hard thing about being a pastor right now, honestly, is that you could say anything. And if you, you speak with compassion towards any group, there will be someone else who tries to say, well, that's like, you know, either Republican or Democrat, right or left. So if you have compassion for women, people will say like, oh, he leans left. Or if you have compassion for the unborn, they'll say, oh, he leans right. Or if you have compassion for veterans and the police, they'll say, oh, he leans right. If you have compassion for minorities, they'll say, oh, he leans left. If you have compassion for immigrants, they'll say, oh, he, he leans left. And so we need to understand that if you see all of these issues of compassion and justice through a political lens, you have allowed your political ideologies to become political idolatry. It's not a matter of right versus left, but right versus wrong. And if you knew me, anyways, I'm just going to go forward. Go for it. We keep moving forward. 
Here's the fourth thing. A peacemaker works for the security, prosperity, and happiness of others. This is all coming from the biblical definition and usage of the word peace as it appears in the Greek New Testament. So we're really studying what the Bible says when it says peacemaker, peacemaker. Biblical peace is not just the absence of war, but the presence of safety and security, prosperity, and happiness. Joy. A peacemaker makes these conditions a reality for others. That's what they do. So that means that we as Christians, we need to bring these conditions to all groups of people who are suffering or hurting. That means whatever your skin color or nation of origin, we want to see you safe, prosperous, and filled with joy. And we're going to work until that is the reality. A peacemaker says, if any of us are not okay, none of us are okay. And we know that we'll never create perfect conditions on this side of heaven. But we can fight for these things. We can fight for peace until all people experience this in Jesus. Security, prosperity, and happiness. We can do what we can do to create these conditions for all people. We wanna reverse the effects of sin and see every people of tribes, tongues, and nation come together and know Jesus is Lord. That's what heaven's gonna look like. And when we fight for diversity in the church, what we're doing is bringing heaven to earth. That's why you got to realize this. There will be no white supremacists in heaven. God wouldn't do that to them because for a white supremacist, heaven would be hell. Because heaven's going to be filled with people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. That's what we want to see happen on earth. So I want you to understand this. Peace is not something you hope for. Peace is something you work for. It's easy just to sit back and be like, yeah, I really hope things get better. That's not what a peacemaker does. A peacemaker works for these things. Anybody can wait for peace, but peacemakers make peace. They work for it. They work it. Hebrews 12, 14 says, work at living in peace with everyone. It's like scripture is almost telling us right up front, this is going to be work. This isn't going to be easy all the time. It's going to take work. You might have to go out of your way. You might have to stop what you're doing to listen. Like, for example, I have a friend who's black and I text him, you know, about every six months just to kind of update myself on what uh, terms and phrases I should or should not say. Because those of you who are minorities in our church, you know that there are some things you can say that I can't say, even if I hear you say it, right? So I'll be like, can I say this? Should I say this? Should I say that? Like, is that cool? Is that? And like, I know some of you would hear that and you'd be like, oh, people shouldn't be so sensitive. You shouldn't have to worry about that. But the thing is, yeah, I, I know it like takes a little bit of effort, but I'm working to create peace because I love, that's, what, that's what's happening right there. I wanna show I love, and so I wanna, I wanna use the terms that communicate that I love, right? This is a biblical concept right here. Ephesians 4.3 says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. We've been taught sometimes that just minding your own business and keeping quiet is the way to have peace, but that's passive peace. That's not making peace. And Jesus didn't say, blessed are the passively peaceful. 
He said, blessed are the peacemakers. A peacemaker goes out of his way and even into harm's way to fight for peace. And I know that if you start getting involved in other people's pain, it might feel like a burden sometimes. But I want you to realize that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's a God thing. In Galatians 6, 2, it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So that means that when anyone in our our church community is suffering, regardless of where they come from or what they look like, that the rest of us are supposed to come alongside them and say, your burden is my burden. I'm going to carry this with you. And it might be hard, but it's going to be hard for both of us together. We're in this together. That's the law of Christ. The way that we do that, and I know, I know some of you who look like me, you might have to work harder at that. And I, I want to just give you a couple practical tips. But, but the first is to seek understanding and just, you know, have a conversation and ask, what's it been like for you? What are you, what are you dealing with right now? What do I need to understand? Ask that question. Then roll up your sleeves and be willing to get your hands dirty. And then third, pray passionately. We're actually having a prayer and worship night for healing and reconciliation for our nation this Friday night in Mesa. I want to invite all of you to it, to show up, to just represent that you want to be a peacemaker and see peace in our nation. But maybe there's been someone you've tried to make peace with and you'd say, you know, like I tried, there's this person, I didn't get along with them for some reason and I tried, reached out, you know, but it just, they won't have it. They won't respond. Or maybe, you know, I tried to have peace with someone, but they keep attacking me. I want to speak to that. It says in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So what this means is that there will be some people you can't have peace with. There are some people in this world filled with evil you can't have peace with. There are some people who are just not there yet. But what the scripture says is if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, do your part. So this morning I was getting ready and I was like working out in my garage gym and I went outside for a moment and I saw that there was this little bird outside my garage trapped in a a pest control sticky trap for scorpions. We never had a scorpion at our house. If we did, we'd burn it to the ground and move. (laughs) But this just in case, just in case, I got these little sticky traps by the garage door. Somehow it must have blown outside or something and like a little birdie flew down trying to get a free snack, you know, grab a bug out of there and got stuck. And I, and I looked at it, I saw like, oh no. And I see that this little bird was still alive. And I was like, poor guy. And I'm not a veterinarian or anything. Like, I don't really know like what the condition is. What should I do? You know, I'm considering all the options. Like, should I put him out of his misery? Like, I don't know. Like, is that the merciful thing to do? So I looked at the trap though, and it, and it said on there, it said, if something gets stuck in this, you can pour vegetable oil in here and that will release the stickiness. And so I was like, oh, okay, I can do that. So I go inside and I find some oil. I come outside, pour, start pouring this vegetable oil into this trap. It's getting on this bird. I'm like, come on, birdie, go free. Go free, you can do it. And so sure enough, eventually this bird, it got out. It got out and scampered away. Is the bird doing well right now? I don't know. <laughs> that bird's either free or has become the tastiest snack some predator has ever had. (laughs) But as far as it depends on me, I have made peace for that bird. 
I was like, should I tell them that story? That's stupid. Okay, I'm going to do it. (laughs) You might sometimes think that being a peacemaker means being a pushover, especially if you're a natural fighter. You know, like you had some people mess with you maybe, and and so you've built up this defensiveness, and it's like, well, I'm going to stand up for myself. I'm not just going to lay down and die. But I want you to realize that that's exactly what Jesus did. He came to this earth to make peace between God and man. And he willingly laid his life down on the cross and died for our sins. And he rose again so we could have peace with God. That's what Jesus has been doing since the beginning. I need you to understand that being a peacemaker doesn't make you a pushover. It makes you a bridge builder. That's what Jesus has done. He has bridged the gap between God and humanity. And he bridged the gap between walls that divided us as people groups. And Ephesians 2.4 talks about this and says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. It goes on to say this, together as one body, Christ reconciled, brings together both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. This is what Jesus has been doing since the very beginning, bringing different people groups together and uniting them into one new group of people. Jesus has made peace for us. And that's why he left heaven and became a man and let himself be killed for our sin. He did it so that we could be united forever into one and united with God. So I need you to realize this This is the ultimate takeaway of this message, that peacemaking makes you like Jesus. That's really what it is. And we read in verse 9, it said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And the literal translation says they will be called sons of God. And, And this is not just another way of saying, like, we're all God's children, but it was referencing, like, the way Jesus identified himself as the son of God. So the idea was that when you act as a peacemaker, you're acting as a fully mature and developed spiritual sibling to Jesus Christ, the son of God, and representing him to the world. So you would be called the children of God, a spiritual sibling and co-heir of Christ. When you make peace, when you build peace. So that's what I'm challenging all of us with today. Be a peacemaker. Let go of anger and forgive those who have hurt you. Live in harmony with each other, even those who are different than you. Seek understanding. Don't just hope for peace, work for peace. How many of you received that challenge today? And I want to say this as we close. You cannot have true peace with other people until you have peace with God through Jesus. 
It's by accepting what he's done for you on the cross. That's why he laid his life down, to bridge the gap between you and God. It was a gap you can never cross on your own. In your best effort, in your own righteousness, you could never earn your way into God's acceptance. But Jesus came into this earth and lived a perfect life. He had no sin in himself to pay for. He died on your behalf for our sin to pay the price that we had to pay so that we could go free. And he rose again because he wasn't a martyr. He was a sacrifice, but he's a living sacrifice. He has risen victorious over sin and death. And we have the promise of eternal life through him. And when we accept Jesus, we have peace with God. You will never have peace with God until you accept Jesus Christ. So I'm gonna invite you all to just bow your heads right now and just close your eyes. And if you're here today and you'd say, I need to make peace with God. Jesus has already made it possible for you. He's already extended the bridge to you and it's up to you to walk over that bridge. The only way to bridge the gap between you and God is through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the only way. So wherever you're at, if you're ready to take that step today, pray this with me. Just say, God, I need you. I want you. I accept you. I give my life to Jesus. I wanna follow him from this day forward. I wanna do what he says to do. And I wanna love people the way that he's loved me. I thank you for saving me and for healing me of my spiritual sickness. In Jesus' name, amen.